Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. Okay, welcome to the Brandon and Evan Show. Today, we're going to talk about a really exciting topic. How to value yourself as an artist. And the various challenges that come with that. And basically, also, how to not undervalue yourself as an artist. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and I think in line with our, you know, our, our ideas and the things we were trying to present on integrity, I mean, that value and integrity, those are, I mean, I feel those are really strongly linked to each other, actually. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as you, you honor your integrity in as much as you, as you value yourself mm-hmm. as an artist, I think. So I think I'm, I'm excited. I don't know where this is going to go exactly, but Hey, when have we ever known where that's going to go? But I, uh, I like this topic for today. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a well, let's, let me crack it open with this thing. The whole crack thing, it. the whole thing about labor of love. Mm. So labor of love, right? People say, okay, well you're doing it for free. Uh, and I just want to get some clarification around that because I actually don't think you're actually doing it for free. You're exchanging a value and the value that you're getting is, is not just love. It's actually something else. So for example, if you're an up and coming director, right. And there's producers who want to produce a movie and they're going to produce some short or something and they pay the DOP and they pay the sound operator and they pay them a certain amount. They pay the editor or the visual effects people. Um, and then say, maybe they don't put as much money towards the director in a certain respect is supply and demand, you know, so you look at it partly because, um, people want to direct. So unless the director has a certain amount of clout, it's a different scenario. But if you're a brand new director, if they're giving you a shot, which this happened for me when I was, uh, 20, 21. Yeah. So 21, I got my first directing job, my first for hire directing job. And, um, it was an interesting experience because they really put a lot of faith in me because there was some other directors who could have taken the spot. And and one of them had already directed a feature film and had quite a lot of experience, but the, and I I think I've referred to this before, but the way I got the job was that I was just really, really honest about the script and I had a really uh, cool vision for it. And they basically told me that they hired me because of that, because I was willing to tell them the truth. I was not, I was the only one who went in there and said, your script, I basically said your script sucks. It, it, it sucks <laughs> because of this, this, and this. And this is what I think we need to do to make it work. And they really respected that. And that's what got me the job. But the role of being a director, even though I didn't really get paid up front to do that job, I did get some money on the back end because we got a distribution deal, which was a great success. Um, is that the base, basically what I'm saying is that it wasn't just a labor of love because that, that directing job got me other work. It it opened up doors for me. Um, when we did public things, I got the credit, you know, I had this whole crew behind me, but as the director, you get a certain amount of credit. Yeah. So 
what's my exchange? My exchange is that it, it opened up the door for me. The person who worked sound probably didn't get more jobs out of that film, but I did as the director. So, you know, I think this whole labor of love, sometimes we call it that is not an actually accurate thing. You know, I mean, yes, we would all like to get paid money and on a big film, we should, I I totally think so. You know, unless it's some indie that everybody's coming together to make work for, you know, but I'm talking about a highly financed film. Yes, we should all get paid. But when we're trying to get something off the ground, you know, if you're an actor or a director, you know, a lead actor or a, uh, uh, the director, you get a lot of credit and that's kind of your exchange. Whereas other people, like I always pay the DOP and I always pay, you know, the editors because, well, because I look at them and I go, well, they might not necessarily get the credit. So it's good that they get paid for their services because that's more of their exchange. So, yeah. And I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that people are worth more and people should get paid or not. I'm just saying that these are things that we need to consider when we're talking about valuing ourselves as artists. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and for me, like, especially like in, in the acting world, I mean, there's just so much work and, and I'm sure like, I know that I've seen lots of stories about this as well. Um, for like musicians, you know, a lot of these people who are on that sort of, um, uh, what is like above the line, like the, these above the line sort of positions or occupations. Uh, and, and so often, you know, there's, they're asked to work for nothing, mm-hmm. you know, to work for, yeah, like to work for free or maybe, you know, something on the back end at some point in time. And, you know, not, not that I say that that's, you shouldn't do something like that. You know, I'll never say like, Oh, you never do never do that. You know, never say never to anything. Um, but you know, it's, it's important that you, you do value yourself and that you take a look at what it is that you're being asked to do. Like, is this something that you just like, you really do believe in so much that you're willing to work for, for next to nothing or maybe nothing Mm -hmm. on this project? You know, do you like then absolutely go for it? Um, but if it's something that, you're just like, well, you know, it's just sort of all right, but you know, Hey, I gotta, gotta build the resume or I've got to <laughs> get the, you know, I've got to get the experience. I mean, there's a certain point where I feel like that whole thing of like, Oh, get the experience, get, and the exposure mm-hmm. as well. That's one of those other thing, those words that's thrown around a lot, which we often use that, um, in a way that does, I think, devalue ourselves. It's like, well, I'm doing it for the exposure. It's like, for the most part, like that, you know, if you're doing some sort of a, some sort of an indie film, you know, or a short film or something it's like the exposure is going to be next to nothing. Mm-hmm. And at least, I mean, I could be wrong, but in my experience of doing a lot of stuff like this, like, and you like, Oh, well, it'll be something to put on the resume. It, that doesn't mean anything to anyone either. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, if you get into a room you know, especially as an actor, you get into a room and you do your job and people really like you. They don't really care too much about what, like, it's like, oh, well, you know, they didn't, they, they didn't do like this amount of work or they're not also looking at it and saying, it's like, oh, Hey, they did this short film that I didn't see and nobody else I, (laughs) I know saw. It's like, so they're, they're probably better qualified to do the job. Like, it's not, that's not really how it works. Well, granted, in, in okay, my experience, granted, um, it's true. What you're saying is, is very accurate, but also 
when someone does come into audition and they do have just a few a few credits on their resume, yeah, uh, a few films, uh, you know, like even if they're short films, it's better than them having a resume with nothing and just acting yes. classes yeah. or something, right? Um, and the other thing is, I think that you know when you look at yourself as a new actor, this is what I would give people advice to say is is um, don't just don't rely on just auditioning, you know, don't rely on auditioning, go out and make your own film with a few people, make about three or four films with characters you really believe in with your friends. And you know what, you don't even have to write the script, go find the the writers. I mean, you know how many people are just begging to like, have the chance to have something they've written made, go find someone go to, you know, go to a university, go to a film school, go talk to people that, and these film school students, you know, they've written lots of scripts probably, or they want to write scripts, right? And I'm not saying you have to go to film school students. You could actually go on Craigslist or, or some Facebook or whatever and, and find professional writers and say, listen, I'm uh, you know, if I was, if I was to go back and talk to myself at 17, which I always try to do, but yeah, I would just say to my 17 year old self, I say, okay, Brandon, this is what you need to do go on this site, this site, this site. And this is basically what you'll say to these people, go find someone who's big and tell them, listen, I'm a 17 year old guy. I want to make film. I, I don't believe in going to film school. I believe you need to make it and try it. Um, would you be interested in writing a short script for me, even if it's only three pages long and I'm going to make it with my friends and, um, you know, and just, I, I'd love to get a professional so that we can work from some really good quality and try some stuff out. And yeah. then the next thing I would say, don't direct it either. Go to a professional director and say, listen, I got this three minute film. Um, I got a professional writer to write it. It's really good, you know, cause it's a professional writer. It's going to be yeah. great. And then the director and three pages is for nothing. a professional writer is yeah. Like nothing, you know, I write that in like a fun challenge. 15 minutes, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, and then, so you go to this professional director, you say, listen, uh, I love it. If you could come and we're going to shoot this for one day, eight hours or four hours. And we're going to shoot this. Um, it'd be great to have your expertise and we'll just learn from you and whatever. Um, you know, Matthew Harrison, actually his son, <laughs> uh, he got in his first film, this kid was like, the kid was like seven or nine years old. Nine, right. I don't know, 10, 12, 11. He's right around there. <laughs> he's between to, seven and 12, <laughs> seven and 12. Okay. When this happened, I don't remember, but he's a great little guy. And, uh, obviously he has great parents who are, are really teaching him and mentoring him. But, um, he is the actor in his first film. I kid you not was, uh, what's his name from, uh, uh, I'm forgetting Zoolander from Zoolander. What's his Ben name? Stiller? Ben Stiller was in his movie. Whoa. His first movie, this kid, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, it's really amazing because basically, uh, Matthew was on, the night of the museum. Right. And he brought his son to set and his son went up and talked to Ben Stiller and said he had this script that he wanted to get made and he thought he would be good for it. And Ben Stiller went to Matt and said, I want to be in your son's movie. And they went and they shot it. And I, I watched like this scene they did was like a blue screen where Ben Stiller was like in, uh, uh, in a plane, you know, and he was flying and he's kind of a bad guy and it was really, really good. And this kid is just a little kid. And, and basically my point is, is that, you know, uh, 
if you have the right people involved, it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how much experience you have. Yeah. Great people will give you everything you need to make a great film. And I think that we do things so backwards. You know what I mean? I'm not saying like, and, and what I'm saying is like, and it's usually because we don't value ourselves exactly. like to bring this back around. It's like we, that was my point. Yeah. You, you summed oh, it up. <laughs> all right. <laughs> no, but I feel I, like I, I just was stole lo- your punchline. No, I was losing the words. So you came in, you actually rescued all me because right, I was like, yeah, no, yeah. It's, it is. It's because we, we lose sight of our, our value. We undermine our efforts. We undermine our, our creations because we go, it's like, Oh, I don't know who will like this. Well, well, it's like, you know, how many times have we said this? If, if not like you, then who? Yes. Right. Like, why not you? Why not you? Like, why, like what makes your ideas any less valid than anybody else's? Mm-hmm. You know, like don't, don't hold other people, some ambiguous idea of other people who are doing it as being like, Oh, but I bet you these other people are just doing it. They're doing something that's just <laughs> like, wait, you know what? The only thing that they're doing is that they're going out and they're talking to people about it. They're bringing p- other people into the picture, you know, like, especially like if you're trying to do it all on your own, I mean, that, I mean, I think that is actually sometimes that, that can be a sign that you're not valuing what you do is when you're keeping it all to yourself. Yeah. You know, if you're keeping everything to yourself, that means like, it's very safe. It's extraordinarily safe. And the only reason why you would do that is, you know, because like you're questioning, you're doubting what it is that you're doing. Yeah. And I think that you don't think that people will come on board. And, and I mean, if you you know, one thing I, I know this as a writer and as a producer is that I found that a great script does almost all the work for me. Like when I've put together a really good script, it has gotten more people involved simply from reading the script than anything else. I mean, just to give you an example, one of the first DOPs I worked with, Mark Hempstock, who I think is a brilliant DOP, and I think that anybody should work with him, was an awesome guy on set. Um, But he, I remember uh, when we were first talking, he didn't really know me. And I said, yeah, I want to do this film and whatever. And I remember sending him the script and he was like, yeah, okay, I'll read it. And then he read it and he called me back like, like half an hour later, an hour later. He's like, dude, this script is awesome. He's like, I've been wanting to make one of these types of movies for so long. He's yeah. Like, it's like modern warfare. It's just, you know, and we were, and I was like, dude, I'm so glad you're excited about it. And, and he was like literally one of the best DOPs <laughs> I've ever worked with because we were on set. And on that day, of course it torrentially rained. I'm not just talking rain, like torrential rain. And he's there and he had at the time, you know, DSLR cameras were the big thing. And he had his DSLR and we had a garbage bag wrapped around it. And we're in the forest and he's filming us and we're running through like, you know, pretending to shoot these plastic guns. And I think I was actually there. Were you there on that that, one? For that one. Yeah, I think I was. Was that like your first yeah, first that was one, yeah, yeah, you yeah. were there. That's it. I was there. I was, I was just being like a, like a PA. I was just helping you out. I That's was setting right. stuff up. We had quite a big uh, group for that little project. Yeah. You know? I, yeah. And I remember that that was torrential rain. But I do was you remember how poncho. excited everybody was on set? <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, everybody was so pumped about this yeah. thing. And the thing is, is I think, you know, when you have a script that people can get excited about, I mean, it, it was almost easy. Like you just give them the script and you say, this is what the script's about. And people would read it and they'd be like, let's get involved. And so, um, I was a know. camera assistant at one point on that. I was, pull, I was like pulling focus oh, yeah, at one point. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's so crazy. Cause it was like a one day shoot. It was like chaos, torrential rain. And like, but I mean, we had this big, great crew and, uh, 
you know, Mark did a great job and everybody did a great job. And, um, every single person on set did a great job. And it's, you know, it's one of those things with film, you know, actually I, uh, <clears throat> I apologize for not remembering that you're there, but I think this is the kind of thing about a film. When, when a set gets big enough, it's chaotic enough. You almost, you know, and we've made many movies since then, obviously, but you kind of forget yeah. about who was all there, who all experienced this with you. You know what I mean? And I think my point is, is actually, this actually plays on my point really well. I remember the actors and I remember Mark, our DOP, and I remember the key, people who are doing the key jobs, but like someone like yourself who was helping out that day that was making this thing work, you know, you came and you did a labor of love to some degree, I'm sure, because I know that we didn't budget a huge amount for that, for that project, yeah. but you helped get us made, help, helped us to get it made. Um, I think that, you know, I, I, I cause I want it. That's what I want to discuss in this call. Like you, if you did it and you felt like you had a good experience and it was worth it, then you believed in the project. But if you didn't have a good experience and you didn't get paid, right? Cause it, it was like you had a bad experience cause you did a project you didn't believe in. So I'm assuming that based on the way you're talking to me about it, that you believed in the project at the time and you thought it was a good thing to do. I think that is kind of the integrity we're talking about. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm yeah. not going to put words in your mouth, but you know, I don't know if I even saw the script because of what my involvement was, but it was one of those things where it's just like, you know, like you're obviously like my, my, my friend and, and my acquaintance at, at the time, um, and peer in, in classes, but it was like, it's also just like, okay, well, you know, I believe in you, right. You know? And, and so I'm, I'm here to do that. Right. Um, you and you endorsed what I was doing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, and, and actually to, to bring this back around because, uh, I've been talking a little bit about doing something for the experience and the exposure. And I don't want people to think that I'm just saying like, don't ever do that, you know, but don't do it necessarily if it is just for that reason, for exposure. If it's just for like, Oh, well I'm doing for the exposure or I'm just doing it for the experience. I mean, that's like, there's, I guess there's something to be said for that. But if you don't have any sort of stake in this, if you don't like, if you don't even like the project, yeah, no matter what, what field you're in, if you don't like care about the project, if you actually even think that the project is devoid of any real meaning for you, yeah, then maybe you shouldn't do it. (laughs) Right. Like it's doing it for the exposure, doing it for the experience. I mean, again, you know, you've got, I I feel like it's better to start acting with integrity sooner rather than later. Try to be like, oh, well, I'm going to sell myself out at the beginning and then I'm going to somehow, I'm going to somehow harness it at like when (laughs) things take off for me. It's like, that's, I, you know, I don't know any stories that have turned out that way. No, no. I I mean, I think that once you start selling yourself out, uh, you know, everyone you sell yourself out with always is going to have that light of you, you know, that you're accessible in that, in that regard, you know? Um, it's, it's an interesting thing because, you know, valuing yourself, it's, you know, I think sometimes when we talk about valuing yourself, we, we immediately go to money, you know, is that somehow, valuing yourself has to do with money. It's not necessarily like that. I mean, there's so many other values other than money yeah. and money oh, yeah. is not a thing. Money just represents a, a certain value. You know what I mean? So, um, if you only ever exchange your art for money, 
I think you're greatly limiting your chance to actually express and do what you need to do. I, I think that's a really fantastic point. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, if you, if you only create when there's money involved, then that doesn't show a, a lot of integrity or necessarily value in yourself either. No. You know, it's like opposite ends of the spectrum in this case. Well, you know, when I started teaching, uh, making movies, I had done it for over a decade at that point when I started. And, um, I, my exchange for my first, my very first class was I, I created a, a feedback sheet and, and it was a 13 week course. And, and my, and uh, all I asked them was you have to fill out your, your payment is your feedback every single week. And then right. there's going to be a final feedback over the whole course, which was a, a longer document. And they would fill that out at the end. And my exchange was the information for how did you receive the course? What worked for you? What's not working for you? What, you know, and now the course is this really exceptional program because of that feedback. So that feedback was way more valuable than the money I would have yeah. got. They could have paid me so much money, but they gave me feedback, which helped me to tailor the course as I was making it to make it better. And then give me feedback on the whole course and their whole experience and, and how it's altered their life since. And, and now I, I have all of that. I have all of that documentation. Like that is so valuable to me. So when we talk about, you know, your value as an artist, I think if it's just money, it's so limited. Oh yeah. I, and which by the way, I have to say this, my courses now go for thousands of dollars. Yeah. So, you know, I make quite a, quite a bit of money from a course now. So money comes. <laughs> I want to put yeah. that out there. It's not that I don't. Absolutely. You know. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's give it its place. Yes. Certainly. Like it's, um, you know, there's, I, I can't, uh, uh, and again, I'll probably misquote this, but Hey, that's what I do on this do show. It. <laughs> but it was like, you know, money isn't everything, but it can certainly help you sleep at night. Mm. Right. And it's like, it's so like, it has its place. Money, as we've talked about, is just another form of energy, but it can also be a severe limitation Mm -hmm. on you as well. You know, like if you're, if that's the only, the sole reason that you create, I mean, that's, it can, that, that's almost a lack of creativity in a lot of ways. Like if, if, when I think of a lot of uh, great films that have been made that were made for like an, an absolutely nothing budget. And it was almost, it almost owes a lot of its originality and its creativity because it had no budget, Mm -hmm. you know, because it had such a small, you know, place to work from. And then I've seen stuff where like a lot of, you know, these, these filmmakers who started out made great stuff for, for next to nothing. And then suddenly they get this huge budget and it's not, it's, it's nothing at all. The film that like the original, it has none of the same heart. It has none of the same originality to it. Right. So sometimes money can actually just be, it it can be a crutch in a lot of ways. You know, you lean on the money to be like, okay, well we've got the budget, so we're going to green screen this and we're going to have this coming in and blah, 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 blah. And next thing you know, it's like, yeah, but what about, what about the craft of the film? Yes you know, what about the story or what about like, it's, and, and it's, it's frustrating when you see that happen because it's like, oh, but it's also a great lesson to learn too. It's just like, okay, you know what the, and I'm sure any of the listeners, and I'm sure you can think of any number of films right now or directors or, or writers or what have you, where you've seen that 
that happen where it's just like, yeah, they put everything into like the budget that they had and whatever. And they, and they leaned on all of that. And now there's just kind of this thing on my screen and I'm just shaking my head (laughs) at what I'm watching. You know, I think money is like one of those things where it's like, you have a problem, throw money at it. You know, if you have a problem, throw money at it. But you think about it, you know, one of my mentors, Keith, he talks about how, uh, money's a tool. Money's a tool. You use it. So it'd be like, let's just say money is like a hammer. Okay. And it can do a certain amount of, you know, work. Right. But if you throw the hammer and you use the hammer at every single situation when building a house, you're going to run into trouble. You know what I mean? Eventually money's not going to solve the problem. It's one particular tool. It's a very diverse tool. It can do a lot, but it doesn't necessarily solve all the problems. And so I think that what happens is sometimes we get caught up in the, in the, in the money. But I also want to say on the other side of things is that we talk a lot about artists and integrity, but I think that, you know, and we, we mentioned these earlier in earlier podcasts, but how business relates to art and they're very closely linked because, you know, I told you that experience I had about being on set where I was producing a movie and, and, uh, one of the artists quote unquote called me a suit and, and right. I, that's always bothered me because it, it, it not, didn't bother me because I was upset or insulted so much. It bothers me because I think, man, that what a shame for that person to look at me as a suit and, and judge that because without me right now, this film wouldn't get made. And I think like as an artist, you need to both be a suit and an artist. It's, it's not a, it's about finding a balance in a sense. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think the people who are all about the money could use some lessons in art and the artists could use some lessons in the money. You know what I mean? It's like we could come together a little bit and like do this, like, and not see each other as separate. I just, yeah, I think I mean, that when you're valuing yourself, it's about both. Yeah, I mean, they each have, yeah, they each have their value. Yeah. Uh, and neither of them is, is more important than the other. They, in fact, they, they need each other. And, and when they come together, and are in harmony, then that's when, you know, some of the most amazing, incredible things happen. Um, you'd say, like, I, I want to compare this. I'm, I'm bringing this back to acting. Okay. Um, but it's like, you know, I feel like when, you know, when you have the, the budget, it's great when you, my, there's nothing, t- don't be afraid of money either. You know, be like that this is going to be something that's going to destroy your project because there's money into it. It's like, take the money to, you know, help establish a a focus of something, you know, it's like, if you're, if you're making a film, it's like, okay, you've got this budget. Well, Hey, you know what that means that you can get this really terrific camera and you can hire this really terrific DOP and you can do all this and, and you can build the stuff around you. But when it comes down to the day that you start filming, now you've got to forget about all of that stuff. Just like in acting, it's like, you know, you do all of your prep work, your, your, you're figuring all this stuff out, you show up and now you start, you've got to forget all of that stuff, all of that work that you did and trust that it's going to happen. You know, if you're a director or a filmmaker, you've got to put all that budgeting, unless, you know, you start going over, like, that's the only thing you've got to be mindful of is like, Oh, well this, like, wow, this shot's taking a long time. You know, we, but you need to focus. Well, that's why a director has a first assistant director. Yes. Your first assistant director is thinking about money and time. 
You're so supposed you to be thinking about the picture. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, granted, when you do an independent film, I always hired a first director. I always got a first director because I realized that early on that if I'm directing and I'm thinking about time and I'm thinking about budget, it's it's screwing up with my vision, right? Yeah. And when uh, when you have a first assistant director who's good, who's on it, I mean, it's uh, it's like you have the best friend in the world because they're like, okay, dude, we got to speed up or whatever. And especially if they're really good, they know how to like be hard enough to be like, let's get this done. But they're not like a jerk about it. Like there's an art to being a first assistant director. Right. And they can kind of keep the piece on set, but yet keep everyone moving. I love that. But when they're there and they're like, you know, what do you think? And what's really interesting as a director is sometimes you'll be like, okay, um, I, you know, and you'll be like, we can get this shot done in time. Let's do another take because I realize on this next thing that we're doing, it's, it's not as important. So we can cut around, we can get that shot a little quicker and, and you're working with them. It's this amazing kind of thing. I, I suppose if you didn't have a great first assistant director, if they were too harsh or you clashed with them, that's maybe, I don't know, more challenging. But I think that, that people have jobs for a reason on a film at least. Yeah. yeah. And I, I actually want to get this. You've just kind of triggered something like, let's get into this. So like we're talking about value and valuing ourselves mm. as, as artists, uh, and creators. But I think it's equally important that we value other people as artists and creators as well. I mean, cause if you don't do that, I mean, you're all, you're, you, I feel like you are sabotaging yourself too. I mean, point. you're not, you're not keeping yourself open to what other people might contribute. My cat just ran across the studio <laughs> and now he's looking out a window. Oh yeah. Yeah. In case anybody know, Charlie, uh, he's always running amok. Yeah. Usually Char- around Charlie here. the cat. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, follow my Instagram, yeah. <laughs> the actual BCC and you'll see a lot of them. Um, but it's, it's so important that, that we value others and, and not thinking that we're just alone as creators, you know, everyone has, has their own ideas and, and their own contributions that they can make that can make what you're doing better. Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're open to it, you, and the beauty is again, you, you never have to, you never have to actually accept any of it necessarily. You know, you never actually have to move forward to somebody's ideas, but nothing, you don't stand to, to lose anything by listening and being open to other people's ideas. You know, if you ultimately, again, you decide that there's a value that you have in yourself and what you're doing, that's more important than what they're saying. That's your choice. Yeah. You don't have to, but being open, you can, you can be, you could be surprised by something really terrific that someone offers up to you. You know, uh, it's interesting. I was thinking about a time I worked on a movie of the week and I had a certain production manager and I was thinking about another experience with a production manager who was a little bit more solid. I don't know if, if you don't really know what production manager, essentially they manage the departments of a film. Right? Yeah. And anyway, so big job. Yeah. Big job. And, um, kind of like someone who manages a business in a sense, you know, but there was an art to that job. And it was interesting because I remember on the movie of the week, um, I was a PA and I was 
a lot more experienced than your average PA. But I looked around the film and I would always be like, where can I help? Where can I add value? Yeah. That's Which all is a production assistant. Production if assistant. Yeah, it's basically bottom is. of the ring too. Yeah. You're the, you're the gopher. <laughs> yeah. You're basically. the gopher. <laughs> go do this job. Go, you know, go, you know, and, and, uh, you do a lot of locations work and whatever. But I, I, I was always looking around at how I could help other departments, how I could do whatever. And in certain ways they say, well, you're not really supposed to do that. But uh, as a production assistant, you, I just looked at how could I pick up the slack? You know what I mean? And, um, it was interesting because I remember on this movie of the week, this particular production manager was almost like a, it was almost like if he didn't see you doing something, he, he would get upset. And in the moment he saw like one of us standing still, he'd be like sweep or do this or whatever. And, and, um, I was always thinking like, what a waste. I mean, what a waste to just be like sweep this random uh, you know, driveway, you know what I mean? Like just sweep it. Like, it's like, like what a waste, what a waste of a crew member. You know what I mean? And, and, and the other, um, you know, production manager was almost like, you know, if you were, if you were standing around for a second looking for something to do, if he saw you, um, working on something of value, you got almost an appreciation for it. Like, um, you know, just coming up to saying, you're doing a good job, good work there, good thought you know, he'd say, good thought, you know, and it's like, that's good, because now I feel value in my job, I feel like, yeah, like, I feel like I'm contributing to this film, I don't know if anyone's worked as a PA, but often you feel like your job means so little, but when someone, like a production manager, comes up to you and, 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 and kind of gives you that affirmation, especially as a young kid, I think, you know, you, you think, hey, I'm contributing, right, and it's, it, you feel like you're a part of it, a part of the team, Whereas with yeah. the other production manager on that movie of the week, I started to feel like, I mean, I felt value. Like I just choose to feel like I'm a part of yeah. the film, but I, I was really like, man, this is really frustrating. And I noticed my other PA buddies were like so frustrated. They were having such a challenge and they were getting so down like this, you know, and I was like, you know, it is how you look at it, but it, it would have helped as a production manager had they looked at everyone is valuable. Whereas he kind of talked to us almost like we were nothing. You know what I mean? And I mean, whatever, everything's going on. And in his world, you know, with all the stuff he's got going on, we don't need to be a hassle. Yeah. But he probably looked at us and saw us not, you know, if we ever were not moving and probably thought, well, that's a waste. I'm, you know, it's just a waste of money, a waste of whatever. And, uh, anyway, I think that, um, if you kind of understand film a little more holistically, you look at every job as how could every job be valuable and how could I get every single person in this film to be invested in it, to feel personally like they're contributing somehow, you know? Anyway, that was, that was an interesting thought because I thought there's a bit of an art to it, even though it doesn't seem like that's an artistic job. Yeah. It's kind of a business job in a way, but there is an art to it. It's, it's the art of dealing with people. Yeah. And, and of, of, finding places that, that need, that need attention, Mm -hmm. you know, and giving that your attention, you know, there is an art, there's an art to every, I think there's an art to every single occupation of which there are, I don't even know how many occupations there probably are in the world. Like there's, (laughs) (laughs) I can't even begin to fathom that. That's a good question. I mean, how many? Yeah. (laughs) And there's new ones come like all the time. You know, one day, and I was thinking like, as you're talking about all these jobs, right. And we we refer constantly to other jobs that people don't think of as, as jobs that you're an artist, but one day we should, or maybe we could consider trying to figure out how to define what art is and like look into that because I feel like art is, 
kind of partly um, an expression of self. It's partly creativity. It's a it's a take on something that you realize is your own perception. Like, because art could be, you know, we look across the room and we see a, a bag tilted on the corner, right? And so the way you see the bag and the way I see the bag and it, it, it's, it, your perception is kind of the, the art and what you're going to do with it. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm explaining this, but you know, like modern art. What was kind like of almost... bag is it, Brandon? <laughs> I was picturing some sort of like a burlap sack. Okay. And I was picking, picturing like a, a gray back pack sack. Oh, okay. All okay. right. And so, not like a plastic bag, like some American beauty blowing in the right. wind. Okay. So, so anyway, so let's say I want you to shoot a scene and all I say is you got to shoot a scene in a movie with a bag. Well, the thing is, is the point that I'm trying to make is that what the bag you came up with and the way you, you chose to do it is kind of artistic because it's totally unique. And the way that I do it's unique and the way whoever else does it is unique. And I think that we kind of, I think we don't see the art because we assume that everybody kind of just does it the same, but it doesn't actually really work that way. Yeah. I mean, mean, there's certain things that are, that are, have a consistency, but like the way we do it is our own in in a way. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's an expression. It's, um, you know, I think that, uh, like the ideas of expressing truth is, is art, um, expressing beauty, uh, in the world. Like, you know, it's like when you see a a great photograph, you know, like a great photographer and they've, they've made a shot of something that's quite ordinary. And then you look at it and you go, Oh, wow, that's an extraordinary picture. You know, like that's, that's art, you know, like it's, it's taken, you know, and that's all often what I, I love about film as well is that uh, in terms of some of my favorite films is that it takes things that are seemingly so ordinary and, and it makes them so beautiful and extraordinary. Um, or at least reminds us that these things are extraordinary, you know, like how many, you know, times have you seen a movie where you, somebody's walking alone down like a, like a wet rainfall in street or something in the night, you know, like the, how many times have you probably walking down, walked down a street, walking, <laughs> walking, <laughs> I'll be uh, Evan. but how many times have you probably walked down like a, a rain soaked street? in the night by yourself, probably you've probably done that and not actually been aware because nobody was filming it. Yeah. (laughs) Right. But it's like, we had, we experience these, these beautiful moments. And I I feel like art does that. It captures these moments and it shows us the beauty of them. It shows us the truth of these things. And that's, I don't know. Art is one of those things. Like you try and define art and it's, it's weird. It's like this whole weird thing well, starts happening. What, You're like, wait, what, what, that's what? That's what they call it in film. They call it art and sciences, you know, the right. sciences are predictable, replicatable, you know, they're the same. They're supposed to be the same, but art is actually supposed to always be different. And so this is the beauty of it is that, you know, I think, um, we, we, we kind of look at things a little bit, some things that are artistic, we look at them as though they're a science and they're not, you know, they're not the same yeah. um, where some things are the same and they need to be the same. But with art, it's, it's different. And I, I was thinking about this, you know, as you were talking, valuing yourself as an artist is about valuing the fact that you have a perception and a view that is perfectly valid and, and that it is, you know, something that is unique. And you can look at that and you go, well, everybody has that. 
But I think where an artist kind of transcends and kind of like has more value and finds value in their art is where they start to not only appreciate the fact that they have their own view, but they're willing to look for it. Because I think um, most people are not willing to look for it because I think that it's safer and more, it's just easier to walk around and not look for art. It's easier to just kind of go like everybody kind of should see it my way, my way's right, and everything's the same, and it doesn't matter. But when I think about art, it's like someone sharing, in a way, their perception with you. And we look at that and we go, wow, how do you, we're almost going, how did you perceive it that way? Like when I watch a great film, I'm almost going, wow, like look at the way you perceived this idea. Or if I'm looking at a painting, like say Picasso, it's like, he took something and he perceived it and, and went out and tried to create a perception. Yeah. And then we go and we put this huge value on it. But like, I think there's a lesson there is what I was I'm yeah. getting at. I don't know if I'm at it, but, but yeah, I mean, uh, like to, to touch on Picasso, the thing I always found fascinating about Picasso is that, uh, you know, like whether you, you like his art or not is, is in some ways irrelevant. Um, but the thing is like, if you see some of Picasso's early paintings, like, like I'm talking early, early, early stuff, he made, produced superb, technically accomplished things. Like he, like landscapes, like beautiful, like lifelike landscapes and portraits and this and that. And then he chose (laughs) to start creating the art that he did. So it had absolutely nothing to do with his technical ability to accomplish. He wasn't just some, some ass clown who was just like, (laughs) I'm going to start like just putting a nose over here and an (laughs) ear over there. And it was like, that was, that was a choice. Yeah. You know, that was his expression because was he, because he was technically capable of doing it. And this whole art and science things like, yeah, it's so fascinating because it's like you can, and we've talked about this, like you can technically uh, write a script or technically perform um, a part or technically make a film in what you would say is like perfect. Right. And it could be, and it would be the most boring (laughs) thing that you've ever seen in your life. Yes. Because that's all it was. Yeah. So it's like that. And that's why I love the, the, the mystery of art and, and what that is, is so kind of beautiful because it is, you can't pin it down. And it is this very sort of mysterious kind of a thing that, but art is almost our acknowledgement of some sort of a mysterious thing at play. Well, you know, <clears throat> one of my mentors, uh, Gabriel Napora, who's actually going to be on the show, uh, he, he's going to be on the show eventually. I don't know if he's coming yeah. on next week or if he's coming on when, but, um, he's a very active producer in film, but you know, we were talking about, and he was talking about how good taste is so rare, you know, and that's in, in many ways, like that's kind of the currency, you know, Mm. is, is this, I mean, it's, it's this, it's, it's taste. And I think what, and I'm not going to put words in his mouth necessarily, but what it was for me when I, when I interpret that is that it's like, good taste is an understanding of, of what connects with people and why, you know, and I, and we, right. we had this big discussion because, um, right now I I've gotten a bunch of jobs, um, basically consulting these other writers. So they keep hiring me 
to, to basically now do these one-on-ones with people who have like done features or have like these amazing concepts that they're like, they want to take into million dollar features. And right. Stuff. And, um, we were talking about this one that we're working on, or I, I'm working with the writer on, and we we're talking about the emotional impact of the story. And in a sense, it's like, there's, there's these elements of say like a movie that like when they come together a certain way and you can recognize they come together. Um, and like that's taste. Like when you can kind of see them all come together and they make sense. Whereas like, I think where poor taste comes in is where people kind of granted, there's always going to be niche markets. Don't get me wrong. But like, like taste in the sense that you understand like how, that the audience would have an impact. Like it's almost like a great story is almost a little bit transcendent of your opinion. You know what I mean? Like certain things, like they almost, um, it's almost like they don't, it doesn't need to be niche because there's something very like honest and truthful. That's like in the, in the bones of it. It's, it's, it's down. And, um, that's kind of like, you know, the really great, the really great filmmakers we know, the really great actors, the great producers, probably the great artists and musicians as well. They have a great taste. They, they understand what they're doing in it. Maybe not in a science type of way, but they, 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 they somehow feel the art of it. Yeah. I I think I, I know what you mean. Like it's, it's about making like for, because art is meant to be shared and creation is meant to be is meant to be shared with others. And the thing is like, well, if nobody understands what you're saying, if nobody understands what you're presenting to them, then, you know, then it's really just for yourself. And I guess there might be a place for, for something like that, but then there's no reason for you to be resentful or angry about, you know, the industry that you're in because there needs to be a certain level of accessibility to, to what you do. And that doesn't devalue what you do. Like people think that, you know, the word accessibility, a lot of people just like really scoff at that word. They're just like, Oh, like, like to me, I don't see, see it as being dumbing down, which is like what a lot of people think it is. It's just like, Oh, you've got to dumb it down. They're not the same. Yeah. It's not the same thing at all. Accessibility to me is, is just like, what like stripping away what's unnecessary and, and making your message clear, like make it clear. Like, cause you want, I, I, I want people to understand the things that I'm trying to say and in, in the works that I'm doing, whether that's through acting or screenwriting or through teaching. I want people to make know clear, what I'm saying, but don't spoon feed. Yeah. You don't have to spoon feed like, you know, trust, like respect, you know, in te- the, you know, a person's intelligence, in, yeah. you know, <laughs> that they can receive things, but also don't make something so ambiguous. And so like, like, unless they knew somebody knew your entire like personal story, like, that, that would be the only person who would know what you're saying. Right. You know, that would be a niche market, I suppose. (laughs) I made this movie just for my mom. Just for my mom. (laughs) Only she'll get it. (laughs) Only she'll get it. And that's kind of a dick move, you know, like (laughs) to make something like that. Especially if you like, you know, if you're sharing it with everyone else and expecting them to, you know, like it or whatever. You know, I think about like a movie fight club, which is, you know, one of my top favorites, if not my favorite. 
And um, it's interesting because that movie was really just ahead of its time. If you look at yeah. now, like, like right now with this whole like Trump and all this other <laughs> stuff going on, I mean, Fight Club is more relevant now than ever. I oh, mean, yeah. it's like, you know, a group of people that basically like say, forget this. Let's stand up against the, you know, the finances and the, the 1%. Let's tear down the banks yeah. and, and let, you know, because basically like, I'm going to get political a little bit right now. Yeah. And, and, and every time I've been watching more and more content from, from Trump come up and it annoys me because he's, you know, there was this amazing article, this video, I, I could see if I could find it and maybe share it, but where they basically talk about how the 1% right back in the day convinced people to basically fight like foreigners, but you know, in a sense was using them to basically just keep the 1% in place. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And the thing is, is like, they talk about the Mexicans coming across the border and all of this, you know, and how they're taking jobs, right? Which is... They're taking our jobs! Yeah, they're taking our jobs, you know, which (laughs) is totally nonsense. Like, if you understand the politics of it all. Okay, so they basically hire the people who are, you know, illegal immigrants, essentially, right? They don't have a citizenship. They pay them less. They pay them under the table, you know, or whatever. And then... Um, and then, so then they say, well, this person's taking your job, so hate them. And then, so then people hate them and they create a racist divide, but then they go and they hire jobs out to China and they hire jobs out to all these other countries. And so the very people that are basically trying to keep their finances and spend as little money as possible are getting the people who are getting screwed to fight for them. It's, it's totally messed up. So when you, when you look at, when you look at this whole thing, like, what, what was the hell was my point in the beginning here? My, my point was basically that, you know, you, you have, you, <laughs> I got so right. I mean, we're talking about value here. We're talking right? about like value, it's... but we're talking like, I mean, basically, man, I, you know what? I, I honestly, I'm not really, I had a point. My point is, well, here's one thing. I mean, the, the 1% basically creates a, a, a racist divide, right? And, and gets the very people that are being screwed over by the 1% to fight for the 1%. Right. You know, that's what's going on, right? And so, um, it's fight club. Oh yeah, that's right. Fight club. So fight club is about the people who are the workers who are serving us our food and being our janitors and all that other stuff, basically rising up and saying, Hey, you know, we control shit. We'll put, we'll, we'll put, we'll spit in your food. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll screw your food up. You know, we'll, we're your service industry. So basically you got Trump right now saying like, don't, you know, don't, don't like the Mexicans. Don't like the the Asians. Don't like the foreigners. Don't like the you know, um, the yeah, it's these sets, people that are screwing you, but the, the person who's telling you that these people are screwing you is the one that's actually screwing exactly. you. Exactly. Yeah. And so then if you look at fight club, it's about the service class actually standing up against the one person yeah. that is more relevant today than ever. And my point is, is that fight club, when it was made bombed in the box office, but, but has become since one of the greatest cult classics ever. Yeah. And what's ironic is that it's I more one of the great films of the 20th century. Exactly. And it's more relevant today than ever, but it came out in like what, 1998, 1997 or something, 1999. I don't know. It was right around. Yeah. There. Something at the end of, end yeah. of the millennium. It was right around there. Someone's going to be like, it came out in 2000. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was nineties. No, it was 90s. definitely nineties. It was like night. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Irrelevant. Yeah. <laughs> but at the time it came out, people were not ready for it, but it doesn't mean that it was great art and maybe it wasn't as accessible, but what's great about it is that it became accessible. 
So I think that sometimes you're going to, you know, you're going to be pushing on something that isn't really, people aren't ready to hear it yet. Like maybe what I'm talking about right now, people aren't ready to hear it. And they're yeah. going to turn off this podcast and go, that guy's an asshole. I don't, I don't agree with him. But maybe one day they'll be ready to hear what I just said, you yeah. know, which is that actually this whole model of the 1% using the people they're screwing over to fight for them has actually been going on for a very long time. And it's kind of, you know, artists speak up about that stuff. Artists create art and they yep. try to expose it. It's been going on since the beginning of, well, of art. You and know? I mean, you see something like in terms of like more directly relevant to what you're saying, you know, like the big short was a film, like obviously it was based on a true story, but that was a film that was made to, to shine light on something that's just like, Hey, this is what's going on and still going on. You yeah. Know? And, um, and they gave a speech too. um, the screenwriters, I believe of the big short, they, won the Oscar and they were actually got up there on stage and made a statement about the whole thing. And that's, I mean, that's, that's great, man. That's, that's kind of, that's part of what art's job is to do. I mean, like it entertains, it informs, you know, and, and it takes us on and it gives us some sort of an emotional connection to the subject matter as well. You know, again, that feels like a scientific breakdown of it. Um, but it's, it can have a, it can have a tremendous impact you know, in the world, it can really transform, uh, the way we, the way we see things. Yeah. And I think that certain movies are valued more at a certain time than they are at other times. Like the big short right now, same with spotlight. Um, you know, at the time when the Oscars occurred, very, very prominent in our current day. So they're very like timely. So they're very valued in that sense. But like, I think, um, you know, as an artist, like, let's just say you want to make, I mean, I talk a lot about movies, but let's just say you want to make this zombie horror movie and you really like zombie, zombie horror movies. Well, um, the world might not value that as much right now because we just had the walking dead. We have the next series of the walking dead, this off series coming out or, or that's out. We have all these zombie movies that have been made a zombie movie right now might not be valued as much. And so I think if you're going to make the zombie movie, you got to look at like, well, all this other stuff has been done. Can I do it in a way which is unique or different? That would be the art, right? But if you think that just having a zombie movie right now, because everyone else valued everyone other, everyone else's is going to value yours. It's like, uh, people need to understand business because they need to understand supply and demand. If you understand that there's so much supply of zombies that the demand gets lower because there's so much supply. Yeah. Right. If there's very little supply, the demand can be higher. So in a sense, if you want to understand the business side of art and you want to understand your value, which is what we're trying to talk about is supply something that isn't already there. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and people kind of like, they call people who think this way, like suits. I, I I just think like artists need to kind of um, look at this as we're in this together. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not one or the other. We're doing this together. And I think as a, as an artist being very holistic in your craft and really honoring the fact that you want to share your art, you need to not just make something everyone else is making, but look for, you know, maybe, <clears throat> maybe not, maybe you just want to make something cause you want to make it fine. But, but understand if everyone else is doing it, that if the demand is low, it's usually cause the supply is super high. Yeah. I mean, and it's not to say that like, you know, if you've got an idea for a zombie horror movie that you don't think has been done before then go ahead and make it, 
but the thing is, is that understand that, you know, you might have a limitation in, in your market. Yeah. You know, and who's going to, and who's going to go and see it. Like, don't, ex- like, don't go ahead and do that and expect that you're going to be the next huge sensation. It's like, we've already had a couple of those sensations already. Yeah. You and know, you know like what? We're looking for, we're looking for the next thing unless, and, but the next thing could be in the zombie genre, but like, it's, it's, you've got to have a take on it. That is something unlike anything that we've ever seen. In fact, sometimes I actually, I would say that there's a terrific opportunity, you know, like I would definitely watch another zombie related thing. If somebody had, because I've seen so much of it because I've seen so many takes on it. If somebody showed me a completely different take on it, that would blow my mind. Yeah. I'd be like, Whoa, I've never seen that treated this way before. So again, never say never. However, you know, it is an important thing to keep in mind. And it's not like zombie films are done because, you know, as they say in film, 15 year olds today are 15 year olds tomorrow because 15 year olds keep seeing films and everyone else grows up, you know? Yeah. So like in, in, you know, 10, 15 years from now, once everyone's kind of gotten over the zombie phase, you know what I mean? There's going to be another probably insurgence of it again in some form. I mean, like these, maybe not, but it tends to be that like patterns resurface after a certain amount of time. So, you know, sometimes you might, you might have the really great project, but, but if you came up with this really great project after everybody's like milked the zombie thing to the end of its you know, kind of thing. Even if it's the best zombie movie that's been made out of them all, in a sense, it doesn't have the wow factor because it's not new anymore. You know, I think we get a bit of a wow factor when we see something for the first time. Yeah. But if I've seen, even though it's kind of not fair to the person who came up with the perfect zombie movie afterwards, even if your zombie movie is the most perfect zombie movie, the best of the bunch, it's competing almost with a hand tied behind its back because... I've already seen so many zombie movies now and shows that I'm kind of like, okay, well, yeah, it's not wowing me anymore. Right. But if you did it first, if you're the first one out of the gate, it's pretty wow, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, all I can say is I hope that, um, the next resurgence of, uh, of vampires is a lot better than the, than the previous one. (laughs) I just hope they don't sparkle when they die. (laughs) My God. Not that we're criticizing. No. Um, <laughs> but I will uh, interrupt for a brief moment to talk about the beer. Do it, because I'm going to grab a refill. All right. Um, this is from uh, our good friend Steel and Oak, who we have featured on the show before. And this is uh, the... It's got a very strange name. And uh, it's called like a... Kataja. Kataja. And it's a juniper ale. So it's kind of, it's like a, it's a bit of a medium amber ale. Um, but they've, uh, they've got some juniper berries in there. (laughs) Oh, okay. That's, that's what I'm tasting. Yeah. So it's got kind of this interesting sort of a, kind of a sweetness to it. You know, I, I mean... I know I say this all the time, but I actually really like this beer. It's, um, it's, it's, it's one of my, I think on the, so far on the show, I think it's probably one of my top 10. Nice. Uh, I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah. It's, um, a really easy drink. Yeah. And, um, 
robust color. I don't know. <laughs> I just make it. Yeah, no, it's got there. it's it's but an it's, easy uh, drink, but it's got a lot of uh, it's got a lot of flavor. It does have a lot of flavor, and you know, I I, I prefer a beer that is um, not too like overwhelming. Like, and I find that it's kind of. I remember when I took my first sip, I was like, "Wow, this is pretty good." You know what I mean? Um, yeah, and I, I think it's a good beer. I think it's definitely it's definitely a good option. You know, so. I don't know. I, 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 you know what? I think the thing is, is like there, I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like I like every beer that we have on here, <laughs> but for me to say after 24, 25 podcasts to say it's in my top 10, I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I don't know how long they're going to have this one for it. Cause this was a new one that I've never seen from them. This was like a seasonal before. So it could be a seasonal or just some that they were trying out. Um, I hope that they. Uh, I hope that they don't lose the recipe for this one. Yeah, I hope they continue with this one. This is a good one. It's really tasty. This is because I've sampled a few. Like I live pretty close to Steel and Oak, and uh, I've tried. I've tried a good amount of their beers, and they they keep a couple like in circulation pretty often, um, but this is one that I hope that they they keep in the rotation. This is one of my favorites from them. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Um, Yeah. Okay. So so, uh, so valuing yourself. Yeah. uh, There's one thing I, I, just in terms of um, some stuff that uh, I I was working for a more personal sort of thing on value that uh, I I had a lot of fun last night. I I was working on this, um, this callback that I've got later on tonight um, for calendar girls. I've got two different roles that I'm going out for on, on this one. So I was doing, I was doing some work on it and, uh, I was doing this one, it's become a part of my, my process now as I'm preparing. And I had a moment where I just kind of laughed to myself and I, and I thought of, um, an old teacher of mine as I was doing this, this work that I was doing. And I thought, wow, they would absolutely hate what I'm doing right now. <laughs> like this would be driving them absolutely crazy. Uh, and, and what I was doing, like just to, to bring it up, I was removing, like I removed all of the action. Like I wrote, I wrote out the scene completely by hand, removing all of the punctuation and the, uh, and the action. And so then it gives you a completely different, at least for myself, a completely different take on the scene. Like when suddenly it's not broken up in the way that, that it's all written and it's just the words. Yeah. All you have is the words that you're working from. And, you know, and, and I understand why, you know, some people have take issue. It's like, Oh, it's, 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 dishonoring the writer. Although being a writer myself, I don't know. I don't, (laughs) I don't have too many qualms with it necessarily. But for me as an actor, I was just like, well, no, this is a process. Like, because through the very act of doing it, I suddenly was uncovering all of this stuff, all of these, all of this, I was discovering all of this truth in what was being said and what was going on with these people that I hadn't found before, you know, through just looking at the script as it was, printed Mm. essentially. And, and I was thinking, you know, like, what would I, like, what would I say to anybody who had an issue 
with like the way, because I know that there are people who do have an issue with that process because it's been around for a little bit, but I was like, well, you know, there's not necessarily a defense that needs to be made. This is just how I approach something. And in some ways I, I'm, I'm like, this is, this is somewhat relevant to our topic today. It's like, because I, I value how I work and I value how to that for me to do this is more important than what people might think of, of what I'm doing. It's like, you know, I know why I'm doing this. You know, I know what this is giving me, you know, and that this is important for me to do. So everything else completely doesn't matter. I don't feel like I'm dishonoring anything because that's, that's all the argument that's made. It's like, Oh, you're, yeah, you know, you're dishonoring the author's words. You're dishonoring how they, they wrote this. But the thing is, is that there's so many things, especially with the script or, and a screenplay in particular, like a lot of people don't realize that when a screenplay has its first run, you know, it's like, if it's a new piece of material, that screenplay is often reprinted based on rehearsals and performances from that first run. So it was actually not written that way. You mean stage play? Yeah. Like a stage play. Yeah. And then they'll be watching and during a rehearsal or during a performance, an actor will say a line in a, in a, in a different way, or they'll do something within it and they'll go, Oh, I like that. And then they'll write down just like, and on that line, they stop and they pause and they turn, <laughs> you know? And it's like, well, but so like, but the thing is, is that if that actor had, had said to themselves, you know, like, oh, well, I have to do it as this was written. Well, then that moment didn't happen. This yeah. incredible moment that they thought was so valuable that they're going to write it in and that doesn't happen. So in some ways you need to continue that process. And, and to me, that is a value thing. It's just like, no, I value what I'm bringing to this. I value the, the, what the truth that's in me, the creativity that's in me that is going to bring these words to life, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's not necessarily going to be exactly this. Like, don't get me wrong. I've seen actors who completely just change the words. Like they completely just like they don't even say the words as they're written. Yes. That's you know? not and, what you're talking about. And that's not what I'm talking about because I, I, there is a degree and it, I, you know what? I will even accept because people will disagree with me on that. And they're like, ah, no, like you don't need to even necessarily do that. And there's lots of actors who like famous actors who apparently will just kind of have an idea of the words. I think Jack Nicholson's kind of like that. You know, he won't, he doesn't give you an exact, an exact like line uh, really? as it's been written. I could be mistaken on that, but I have heard stories of actors who are like this. Um, for myself, I don't completely necessarily agree with that entirely. I mean, but I can't necessarily disagree with Jack Nicholson because <laughs> 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 I really like Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, like when you, for me, it's like, I, I feel it's important to say the words you know, like those are the actual words. I remove the punctuation because I'm like, well, when I choose to, to make a pause or not pause (laughs) or whatever is somewhat irrelevant, you know, like there, and again, based on the words, there's really only so far that I could, I could potentially manipulate that, (laughs) Yeah, you know, from its original content. But, you know, there's something that's, there's something that I have to recognize that's 
within my own creative process that I have to say, it's like, no, this is more important than me being concerned with this comma Mm -hmm. or this, you know, this period or this, you know, semicolon. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I don't perform semicolons, sir. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting, actually, just last night, uh, a friend and I, we were going through, we, we went through a bunch of old scenes that I had written, you know, back, uh, back in the day. Um, oh, cool. and it came up because I was talking about, which I actually mentioned on an earlier podcast, but a, a play that I wrote about this bank situation. And so we were talking about it and they said, I really want to, I want to read that. I want to know what it is. And so we went and we searched through my files and uh, I had take. I didn't realize this at the time, but I had taken that play and I had put it in a, a, a new place because I was going to work on it. But then I basically shelved it and I didn't. And so we went through all these files and we couldn't find it. So we were pulling out old scripts and and uh, it was interesting. We were having a fun time reading all this stuff. But then we got to the play um, and we're, we we sat down. We finally read it. And one thing about the play is the play is written in a way where there's very very little action description. It's really just a lot of dialogue, yeah. you know, and monologues and dialogue and whatever. And it, you know, I, I hadn't read it in a long time. And I mean, I don't know, this might sound kind of egotistical, but it's kind of weird because I remember when I wrote it, it was not like, I'm so great. I wrote this play. It was kind of like, I just have to write this down. I'm just going to write it. You know what I mean? And, um, what I found was that when we reread it, we were like, laughing and we were just like, like getting so involved in the story. And, um, and it was really just dialogue. And what I found was that the dialogue filled in so much information. you really didn't have to. And I mean, all plays are really like this, but I just had this realization that just really landed with me, uh, last night where I was like, like, for example, there's one character at one point, he's an older guy. He comes into this bank where this play takes place, it takes place in, in basically the front of a small bank. And, um, he talks about his, his wife, but he talks about her like she's alive. But early in the, early in his talk, he mentions that she's late, the late, whatever. So the whole time he's talking about her as though she's alive, but you know, she's dead because he yeah. mentioned it. And it was really interesting because, you know, you don't need to write down all his behavior. Like actors are going to perform that in all these various ways, but it, just the fact that he's talking about this wife that he, that, you know, that he's going to go to her grave and drop her flowers. And like, he basically said, I mean, I actually, I think what boggled my mind a little bit was cause I wrote this in my early twenties, but I, I think, how did I write a guy that was like in his sixties or seventies or whatever about, you know, having loved someone his whole life and yeah. having them have died. And then basically he shows up at her grave every year and basically gives her flowers and they have some cake or something. And in part of the dialogue, he mentions how she doesn't have an appetite, but she enjoys the company. You know, it's like you say these lines and you're like, it's, it's, it's amazing. You know, like how I think with screenwriting, cause I screenwrite so much now with screenwriting, you're always kind of trying to describe everything and kind of paint that picture. Yeah. But with theater, which I haven't written that many plays, but I just was like, wow, like I painted a picture in this scenario with just like history and life. And I think that sometimes, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think when it comes to, they, they, they say that, um, theater is the actor's medium 
film is the director's medium and TV is the writer's medium. Mm. And I really think that's true. And I think that actors who come from a place of theater tend to be better actors because they don't get distracted by all the visual crap that we're writing as writers. Yeah. So I think your point is really acute. I think it's, it's, it's an intelligent point because as an actor, yeah, like you're supposed to bring a life to it. You know, all this stuff that we're doing, it's not just communicating to you as an actor. We're communicating as a writer. I'm communicating to the producers. I'm communicating to the, to the director. I'm communicating to the DOP. I'm communicating to everybody. Right. And so as a writer, I mean, so as, as an actor, you do need to, in some ways, maybe not listen to all that. Cause that could actually, cause as I'm writing a screenplay, I'm not just thinking about you as an actor. So I mean, if I am, then I'm probably not doing a good job because I need to write the story for what the story needs. And so by you kind of saying, yeah, I, I, I take out the, um, I take out the action. I take out the, um, the way it was said, you know, what I, I, my point was also that certain things that I had written in that play, um, it didn't really matter how you said them with the punctuation the truth, the value in the conversation the yeah. thing they were saying was there. And so, yeah. So I'm, I'm just saying that I really get that like as a writer, because uh, you know, as when you write screenplays, you know, you think that you want everyone to follow your, your every little action that you put in, but you know, you don't know, you don't really know. I mean, well, I'm realizing is I don't really know as much as I think I might know. Yeah. And I think, I think it's a good, I think that's a good strategy. Yeah. I've no, heard and, of that before. I mean, I, I like read, you know, like I read the original form of it, like first, like I'll read it through a few times, but then when I really start to work on it, I, that's when I start to do that because then it's like, it's, it's, it gets buried way. And then I'll forget a lot of what, how the punctuation was, but because sometimes it can, it can give you an indication of of a certain rhythm or of a certain tone to something, which you know, I feel there is, there is value in that. Absolutely. Um, but then it comes to a point where I've got to say, it's like, okay, well, but now I've got it, like, I've got to take, take ownership and authorship of this part. Yeah. Cause I'm the one that's playing it. And I'm the one who has to find the truth in these words and what's happening in within those words. And, and it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's been a, it's a liberating thing to do for myself because I didn't always work that way. You know, it was, it was very often about a thing of like, Oh, I want to get this right. You know, like at once upon a time, it was like, you know, like, Oh, yeah. I want to get this right. I want to, and the thing is like, well, you there's know, a safety, there's an idea of safety. If you yeah, get it right, and that the, somehow you're okay. But yeah. It isn't the case. Yeah. And at the end of it, it was always just like some sort of a frustration, like a feeling so disconnected from whatever it was that I was doing and, and I mean, and that's, that's part of why I'm now teaching like this kind of work to people. Um, just because I know how it works. Like I know how, how this can be such a transformative, uh, new way of looking at how you approach this medium and, and, and acting specifically. Um, and there's some, and, and also just to, to, to add on to that, you know, it's, if, you just had a bunch of actors who were all just taking those, like a a script and were all so concerned with making sure that they, they nailed each line 
with like in exactly the way it was written, like where there was a period here or there is, you know, dot, dot, dot here, you know, and there is this here. If everyone was, was concerned, if that was everyone's main priority, then what's the point of like repeated productions of stuff, especially in theater, you know, where you, you know, they constantly reproduce stuff. It's not a science. It's It's, an art. It's an art. And it's like, and if everybody was doing it the same way, then what's the point? Mm-hmm. You know, what's the point? And it's not that you're not going to end up telling the same story with the same ideas, the same messages. Like you're still going to tell that story, but the best way for you to tell that story is by you finding the truth of it for yourself, you know, as opposed to some idea of what it is and, and trying to get it right. You know, I just, I actually went and saw a play the other day uh, with my dad. We went and saw, um, five women wearing the same dress by Alan Ball. And it was interesting. Um, you know, the play is so good that even the writers, I mean, even the actors, um, were not that strong in my opinion, but (laughs) I just got a call and we got lots of volume. We had the volume on, I guess. So now we all know Brandon's ringtone. Yeah. (laughs) Everybody was like, everybody was like, wait, is my phone going off? Um, no, it wasn't. It was mine. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, so we, the, the, the acting was, was all right. It wasn't the best acting I'd seen by, at all, but the writing was so solid in a certain way that the actors, if I could give them, if I can give them any credit, I mean, it's not, they did a terrible job. They, yeah. They did a decent job. In fact, the five women who did the, you know, there's one, five women and one, one man. Um, the five women did a really good job in the sense that they just seemed to trust the work, which I, I could really respect because, you know, you know, the story just kind of went through and in a certain way, I feel like great writing kind of carries the actor. And then, you know, that's when almost the actors kind of just seem to do the job. But when you see really like special acting, it's almost like, they've taken that and they've honored that, but they've, they've gone and they found something really, really truthful. And, and like I'd find with these actresses, they found moments of really great truth, but there wasn't like this awesome consistency. It was interesting though, because the character trip, who's the one guy in the, in the, in the whole yeah. play, I was very excited to see this guy come on because I love that scene. And, uh, they cast a guy who was like, <clears throat> just, in, in my opinion, totally the opposite, like, you know, of who you would cast and his, it's just like the context of the scene. And you're like, I don't, I don't really believe that this guy would be in this situation doing this. And I don't really believe that she would like him, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing because, you know, you, you watch it and you, you kind of, you kind of get through that part of the, you get through that part of the play. And, uh, you know, it was, it's still kind of weirdly, still kind of weirdly worked, you know, but it's like, I was thinking about like, why would they have cast him of, of all the people? And why would he play it that way? You know? And, uh, um, and, and it was interesting because I think he was the safest. He was trying to do everything right. And the girls, the, the women of the play, they kind of had some free form a little. They kind of, you know, like when something happened on stage, they kind of 
worked with it, you know, but yeah. him, when he read his line, it was, it was, it was very like, like, like I've read the play a lot. It was very much the line, you know what I mean? And there's no right way to say the line, but it was almost as if he said it the right way. And yeah. the, it, it, it leaves this emptiness, you know what I mean? And yeah. so I'm almost like, yeah, like you don't need to say it right. What you need to do is, is say it with truth. And so, I mean, when we're talking about value, I'm going to bring this back. Yeah. If he valued himself enough as an actor, he would trust that however he said it would be fine. Yeah. You know, that you don't need to like the play is so good when you're working with Alan, that Alan Ball play, that that play is so good that you can, you have to almost like really do a good job to mess it up. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so like, or the, a really bad job to mess yeah. it up. <laughs> you have to, yeah. But so, a good job in some ways. But playing it safe, <laughs> you know, like playing it safe, I think is where, you know, these things like where we try to do it right. Like what is right? I mean, right yeah. is like science, right? Right, wrong, you know, correct answer, incorrect answer. Art doesn't work that way. It's, no. it's, you know, um, okay. One more thing we were taught. I, I watched an interview with, um, Oh man, what's his name that they were talking about? Marlon Brando. He did a Lawrence of Arabia. All, that, that was uh, Peter O'Toole. Peter O'Toole. Yeah. Thank you. So Peter O'Toole was talking about Marlon Brando and he was talking about the importance of memorizing your lines. And he said that, you know, he's like, yeah, Marlon Brando had done Streetcar Named Desire like 200 times on stage. And he was talking about that. So by the time he had done the movie, when he had showed up to do it, of course, it's just going to happen. But he knew his lines so well. And the thing is, is that um, people who have referred to Marlon Brando doing Streetcar on stage, they would talk about how it would be different all the time. And sometimes it would be a little bit more this or a little bit less this or whatever. Yeah. But every time the thing that was so amazing was it was truthful. And I think by the time he actually did the movie, he was so connected. He had tried so many different ways that there was a certain, like a certain connectedness to him that it was yeah. only going to come out that way for him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause yeah. he knew this, he knew this character. He knew this life of this character so intimately that, yeah, like it couldn't completely go off the rails because like, it was just, he was so in tune with that and, and how, how Stanley, right. Stanley, Stanley how how Stanley Kowalski would, would, would respond, you know, he was so in touch with that. I mean that, you know, it's one of those, like, here's like a little sort of exercise. Like if you are cast in a play or, or a film, like a great, exercise to do, uh, when you're learning lines is like, you can just like bounce a ball to yourself off a wall, but if you have a partner, it's even better, you know, someone to like, and throw it back and forth. Because the thing is, is that when something different happens, when you're in rehearsal or, or during a play, the first thing that goes is your lines mm. when something you don't expect happens. So, you know, you got to know those lines, like, uh, uh, Larry Silverberg used to say, just like those words got to be in your veins. Mm. Like they've got to be in your, they got to be in your blood, you know, so that like you, like there is no thinking about what, what's coming out next when you're like, you know, when you're cast apart, you know, when you're auditioning or, you know, in a callback process, you know, it's sometimes you can't always, you can't always get to that place, but not that that's expected. But, you know, this is like this story about Marlon Brando is that like, those are so in you. So it's like, you're, that's not, you don't even have to think about that. Yeah. Like you're just like focused on what's happening in front of you, who this person is, what did they just give you? Mm -hmm. 
Like, it's like, you know, they just gave this, like, they just said this thing to you and it had this little bite to it or something. And now that can really land with you because it doesn't matter because now like those words are there. And it informs the line. And it informs the line. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, oh man, I get excited about this kind there of you shit. Go. It's awesome. Um, you know, because it's just such a powerful place to work from. Well, I think what you're, what you're talking about and the reason why you're getting so passionate is you really value the process and you trust you know, you trust a certain thing, you know, you've, you've seen it, you've seen it. And you know, it's, it's like that. It's like that with anything. I think, you know, you said it earlier in the conversation, valuing yourself as an artist is not just about valuing yourself. There's my cat jumping around. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, buddy. Come here. Anyway, um, valuing yourself is not just about valuing the yourself as an artist is about valuing every other artist, but also valuing the thing you're a part of. I mean, we talked about that earlier in the conversation. Are you going to do this movie or this play or this whatever, because you value the story of it? Or are you going to do it because of exposure? And, you know, another thing is, is like, do you want to work with the people that, you know, are that you're working with? You know what I mean? Like, you know, sometimes, I mean, you can have a great, you know, actually here, I'll just give you an example. There's a, there's a script that I've been commissioned to write. We've been waiting for this one person to sign a contract. And we've been waiting. And so I talked to the producers, I think it was actually yesterday. And we, and we talked about, you know, cause they hire me over and over, but we were talking about like who they want. And we were basically just having a discussion about, you know, does this person who basically is holding out on the contract, are they someone we want to work with? And the whole deal could fall through if they don't sign the contract. And so it's getting to the point now where we're almost like, no, you know what, as good as this is, it's not worth working with them because they're too much of a headache. They're too much of a problem. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that when you're, you, as an artist, you don't just value yourself, but you value everyone around you. And you got to also go, do, do I want to work on this project? Do I want to work with these people? Because if you just think you're not good enough, you're always going to be like, please hire me, please work with me. But if you see yourself as valuable, you're going to ask yourself, do I want to work with these people? Do I want to work on this? And I think that's really what we're getting down to at the yeah. core of it. Cause it's not just about the money you make, but it's about valuing yourself enough so that you can have the integrity to decide, do I want to work with these people or on this thing or whatever? Yeah. And it's going to make you a better artist too in your, in your craft. Absolutely. Like it's, valuing yourself will bring you uh, a certain trust in yourself as well. Well, you know, we were talking, uh, and this happened a few weeks ago, you and, you and me and Emilio, actually, after that mm. interview, we were driving to the table read. And I remember we were in the car and I was saying, yeah, I remember something about it acting and, oh yeah, that's right. It was one of my first workshops or something. And I thought if I could just cry, everyone will love me. Right. You remember? Yeah. Yeah. I remember. And then I said, uh, I said, Oh, what a silly thing. And you said to me, which was a really kind of cool and compassionate thing, but you were like, yeah, but that's where you were at. That's what you thought the best thing to do was, you know what I mean? And so I think that as artists, we, it's not that what you did before, if you've sold out or you've done something in the past that didn't work out, I think it's not about beating yourself up about it. Yeah. But it's about going, yeah, that's where I was at. That's what I thought was the best. Cause at the time, you know, I did, I did some shitty movies when I, when I started, yeah. you know, cause I just thought if I get a lot of credits, they'll hire me. Not the case. Um, you know, all those, so many movies that I did, these little shorts that were just, I didn't believe in. 
I went through a period where I just did movie after movie after movie. And it's like, I just think, God, like who cares? You know what I mean? I don't care. They don't care. What was the point in that? Yeah. Like, uh, for example, I did this one movie. I know I'm kind of soapboxing right now, but it's not really about a point, but it's just about stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Please <laughs> share, share with all of us. So there's these, um, uh, Asian filmmakers who basically they saw me do some work on another film, which went down to LA and got some success and they wanted to hire me for their film. And so I was like honored and I said, great. They sent me the script, but I read the script and I was like, I don't like it. I didn't like the script at all. And then, uh, you know, uh, just to give you a time frame, this is when we were in Nathaniel's class. How old were we then? 20 what? Er, like, yeah, like early twenties. Yeah. Early twenties. Like early, early twenties. Early twenties. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, anyway, uh, so we, so I told, so I basically tore the script apart. I said, you know, this is not working because this and this, this is what would need to change for it to work for me. They literally did all the changes I, I wanted. We sat down, we had another meeting. I still wasn't, I, I, I was happy with the way they were moving the script, but I wasn't necessarily trusting them as filmmakers. I just right. had a bad vibe. I, you know, when you get a vibe where you're like, I don't know, I don't know. So then anyway, we went and we did rehearsals. The rehearsals were really great. They took me out for dinner. You know, they're pretty wealthy producers and whatnot. And they took me out for dinner. We sat down and we talked about it. The, pre- the rehearsals we had were awesome. Yeah. And I was getting like really excited about the film. I was like, okay, this is going to work. Of course I showed up to set and they didn't keep their word. They basically changed things like, and now that I was on set and, and I guess, and you know what, I guess I didn't have, an, I had integrity about a lot of things, but I didn't have integrity enough to walk off set and say, no, this doesn't work for me. And I shot the movie and then I remember when they sent me finally a copy back, um, and it was like, uh, way longer than, than the film that I had done. So they just shot a whole bunch of other stuff. They had a scene that I, two scenes that I had done in the movie didn't even have my dialogue synced up properly. Um, and, um, I remember when I were on set one day, um, there was a scene where the girl and I break up you know, we have this breakup, this kind of falling out. Yeah. She's like super jealous. We're both, ironically, we're both artists and my character, his art is succeeding really well and hers isn't. So she ends up kind of creating this whole thing. Right. And this scene, when we rehearsed it was super, like, it was just super powerful scene and they changed it on the day and whatever. And I remember after seeing that film and after having that experience really, where I, I just had this shift. I remember being like, I never want to, I never want to do a film like that again, like, because it, it was like, I felt like something I cared about was just kind of disgraced in yeah. the whole process. And so I, I, you know, that it's like that selling out, you know, when you do something, you know, you're just doing it because you're just too scared to walk away. Or I did it because I was too scared to walk away. Or I thought somehow it would work out. You, you kind of know, you know, yeah. I find that usually I know it's not right. Yeah. That intuition that tells you it's like, no, this is like, this is not good. This is not going to pl- play out well. <laughs> yeah. So, but you know what, like I said earlier, you are where you're at. So you do what you did and then, and forgive yourself for the, for the mistakes that you make, you yeah. know, like the, like holding on to it isn't, isn't going to serve you now or moving forward. No. But you know, it's, um, it's helped me to better be able to do this talk with you, which yeah. is good. So somewhere it's yeah. helped. <laughs> well, yeah, let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up here. Um, 
Yeah, this was, I, I really, this was great. This yeah. felt like a nice, great, like it feels like this sunny day that it is today, you know? It was, uh... <laughs> Someone's going to be listening to it, it's going to be pouring rain. But it was sunny today. It, yeah, it was sunny today, <laughs> beautiful spring day. And, uh, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's like, yeah, it's the, the whole thing of value, value yourself, value others. Um, you know, always remember the love, you know, as Henry as Henry always says, just like, where's the love, Where's the you love? know, like in whatever you do, if there's love there and you know, and they don't have a budget to pay you, but if there's love, you know what, maybe it's worth doing. If there's no love, maybe don't do it. But you know, even if there's a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. If there's a lot of money and there's no love, maybe don't do it. Maybe don't do it. I don't know. That's your decision. And also, you know, like value yourself enough. Um, to walk away from something, uh, value yourself enough that to, to move on from your mistakes as well. You know, I think that's equally important. That's good. Thanks for that throwback, Evan. Um, (laughs) my last point. Well, I think, you know, the podcast actually, we literally just did before this was about courage. And I think that highly relates to valuing yourself as a host. And I think that if you got anything out of this podcast, listen to the one before. And if you already did listen to the one before about courage, then, then relate that to this because it is really courage. I mean, it takes courage to be in your integrity. It takes courage to value yourself and, um, you're valuable, you know, whoever you are, you're valuable. Um, and what you feel inside and what you know to be right for you, what you know to be true for you that's the most accurate Geiger counter you have, you know? So trust that. Don't, don't abuse it. Don't let it down. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it's like Rob Reiner said to us when we went down to AFM that one time that he said, you know, just do a bunch of projects you care about because you know, you don't know what's going to work or what isn't, but at least you'll be able to look back and say, I made a bunch of good films. Yeah. That's what I'd like to leave people with. Beautiful. All right. Well, until the next time, keep creating and stay in your integrity. That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family, or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks. Thanks.